1: everyone again. Um, it's it so good to see that, that worship video there and see uh, our our resident Paul McCartney, Ian just killing it on bass and singing too, which is so awesome to see all the talents that are part of this community. It's something to celebrate. Uh, it, it is a beautiful sunny uh, Sunday morning uh, here in Kitchener, Waterloo. And I like the heat personally. So in all of this delightful um, scenery, uh, An exterior let's talk about persecution Who here is excited to talk about persecution? Well uh, I Kind of pondered that a little bit when I got into this passage because what I was really hoping to do was to kind of Just focus on this one part of this passage that just meant a lot to me you know as a as a young believer uh, and um, But, but we're, we're gonna get into that. I'm gonna talk a little bit more about that as we go Um, but as I was looking at this passage, I couldn't get away from the fact that this was actually about suffering, uh, for the gospel of Christ. It was about persecution and enduring persecution because you are in Christ. So what does that look like? What comes to your mind when I say, uh, suffering for the gospel? What does that look like for you? Uh, I, I know right away when I hear that term, I think about, you know, uh, some of the most darkers, the darker stories about people who have been persecuted for being in Christ. Uh, I think about there's one story that came out of uh, China, you know, during the Boxer Rebellion, which would have been, you know, late 1800s, early 1900s. And what happened at that time was that uh, the Chinese government was cracking down on churches and on Christians and people who were rebelling against the government. And so what happened was, is that they actually put a bunch of Christians into sort of a concentration camp area. And what they did is that they opened up uh, the fenced off area. They opened up the gate of it. And what they did, like these soldiers, what they did is that in front of the gate, they drew a cross. And, and so they drew one line this way, one line this way in the dirt. And they said that if you are a believer, if you're, if you're you know, if, if, you, if you want to escape, sorry, if you want to escape this concentration camp, you have to trample the cross. So you have to make a public declaration that you are, you know, you disown this faith by trampling over it. But if you don't, um, we'll shoot you on sight. Sorry, a little graphic here. Uh, But what happened was, is that the first few people who came out just gladly trampled over the cross because they just wanted out, which was a demonstration of where they stood. But then one, they say a young girl came out and she knelt down on the cross and prayed. And the moment that she did that, her life was taken from her. But then a handful of others saw her demonstration of faith and then decided to walk around the cross. They just said, we're, 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 gonna, we're gonna demonstrate our faith in this way as well. And they walked around it, and their lives were taken from them as well. Great Sunday morning conversation. Okay, like, like that, that's what comes to mind when you think of you know, suffering for Christ, right? But that's, but that's a measure. Right, like like that's a a certain measure of persecution. And what I don't want to do is I don't want to dismiss the fact that all of us have at some point in time experienced resistance, rejection, conflict, whether um, from within your families, right? Because some of us are of faith and our our immediate family are not. Uh, Maybe it's at school, maybe it's at work. Maybe the best description of it can be it's the feeling of being alone when you're standing up for the truth. And so all of us have experienced it in some way, shape or form. Uh, I'll give you an example of it for myself. I experienced it in uh, drama class. Please don't judge me. I, I did drama class. It was okay. I made it out. Um, some people would call it, you know, the cesspool of the arts, you know, drama in high school, but uh, some other people have some different uh, uh, um, uh, connotations of what that actually means. Um, but anyway, here I am, I'm in drama class, and um, I believe it's probably early 2000s, and, we, and what we did is that we were going to do, uh, we're going to have different students come up and and face another student. So we have two students come up, and what you're supposed to do is that you're either supposed to make the other person laugh or react to something that you're saying about them. This is what I remember of it. and. And I remember sitting there, you know, uh, when the teacher was explaining this this exercise, which was supposed to be an exercise of kind of just holding your character, right? So so we were supposed to go up and and do this. And I remember sitting there thinking, this might turn out really badly for me. Because at this point in time in my high school career, I was actually kind of, um, the the term I would use, I was sort of overzealous uh, for Jesus. it, it was sort of unhealthy in some ways, um, but I'd really, i just really taken my faith to heart and it would just became part of how I formed my identity of who I was, you know, when everyone else is trying to f- define themselves in high school, you know what I mean, if you're like a jock or if you're into video games or if you're into Dungeons and Dragons or whatever. So here I am, I'm defining myself as a believer. And I know that's the only way people really understand and know me as somebody who's gung ho for Jesus. And so I'm thinking to myself, this can turn out really badly because I know there's some people in my class who really don't respect that. They don't treat me poorly at the moment, but I know they really don't respect my position. And so, you know, I thought, I said to myself, you know what, I think I'm still gonna risk it and kind of go up and be the person who has to hold their face and their character. Well, let me tell you, one guy came up and, uh, and he used some terms and some words that I cannot use right now, um, describing my relationship with Jesus. Uh, it ended up becoming kind of crass and kind of derogatory and there was a handful of people in the moment who were watching or just kind of telling him like, hey, you got to stop. You can't say that. That's not appropriate. And and even in the moment, I was kind of like, uh, I don't think this is allowed. I don't think you can you can really do this. Um, but it was, it was it was kind of shameful. It was kind of embarrassing. And in the moment, I, I, I certainly felt rejected. Uh, afterwards, you know, the teacher encouraged him to apologize to me and we resolved it and everything else. But you know what, in that moment I knew to myself, I knew ahead of time, like this is this is gonna get put me into a situation where I'm gonna have to stand up for myself, for my faith. Or maybe the better way of saying it, I knew in this moment that I had to to say yes to um, an uncomfortable situation that I was gonna be put into. So I really struggled with this because, because I, I really wanted to avoid talking about persecution, because we all have these different ideas of it, but the, but the Bible says that if you, and this is what uh, 2 Timothy uh, chapter 3, uh, verse 12 says this. It says, indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ will be persecuted. Everybody. So I can't really run away from this conversation. I mean, if you haven't experienced it, you will. If you... You're here, listening to me right now, you're 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 and listening to my story about drama class, you you've been there. you've You have been in situations where you've been tested. you've been rejected, maybe either verbally or maybe even by somebody's silence. You've been rejected on behalf of the fact that you are a follower of Jesus. And it is a promise. <laughs> it's a promise. It's, it's it's maybe it's not one of the promises that are in those like three hundred and sixty five days of promises you know, to encourage yourself. You know, those, those, those kind of devotionals that you could buy at a Christian bookstore. It's probably not in those, but it is a promise. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And so this brings us to our passage. In this passage is the verse, um, for God gave us a... Sp- a spirit, not of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind, and a met or, or self-control, as this um, translation says. And uh, so, I always used to like to love to stand on it. But listen to the full passage as I read it to you. I am reminded of your sincere faith, and this is Paul talking to Timothy. A faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of
2: God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and of self-control.
1: Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us, this is God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel for which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle and a teacher, which is why I suffer as I do, but I am not ashamed for I know whom I have believed and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. So Paul tells Timothy this, he says, follow the pattern of the sound words that I have, you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Uh, we're gonna get a little bit more into the context of what's happening here, but, but basically, Paul is addressing Timothy. He is his son in the faith. He calls him his beloved child. He's not directly related to him, but, but he's, he's mentored him and, 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 and discipled him, and he loves him dearly. And Paul is in prison, but Timothy is in a dark situation now, pastoring the church in Ephesus, and he wants to encourage him by saying these words. And trying to encourage him to not back down from persecution because the truth is that everyone who is in Christ will face persecution. It's a promise, right? So all of us, even though this is written to Timothy, this is still a message to the church. How do I say yes to God and no in the face of suffering and persecution when I'm Facing suffering and persecution, it's difficult. How do I do that? Well, I believe there's three things that we're going to learn from this passage about what that looks like. And it's, it's by us accepting that uh, we were made for this particular moment that we're going to face. We were made for it. Um, we accept as well that Jesus is the author. He's the beginner of the story, and he is the finisher of your story. I'm kind of paraphrasing that verse in Hebrews, but but accept that Jesus is the author and the finisher of your your story. And then lastly, we have to accept that we're not alone in this. That he hasn't called us to do this on our own ability and power, but he's going to empower us to make it through. You see, the truth is, is that we all want to say yes, right? We want to say yes to God when we're faced with a scenario where we might face persecution or suffering for the gospel. Right? You don't really want to back down. You want to say yes because you love your Lord and Savior. It's natural to you because of your nature to want to honor God. But there are times when it's, it's scary. And, and shame, the belief, not, the, not a feeling, but the belief, like shame will, will try to make us back down from the opportunity of saying yes to God. It'll, it'll, and, and, and make us want to say no to him and run away from uh, persecution or suffering. But the truth is, if we turn our eyes by faith to, what, who, to who we've been made to be, to the author and finisher of our, of our faith, and to the fact that God is with us, we can stand in the face of persecution and suffering and not let shame win in that area. But anyway, a lot said there, Let's pray quickly, and then I'm going to dive in. Um, so, so Jesus, uh, again, this is—it's it, it, not enough for me uh, to share analogies and stories and anecdotes uh, to reveal what you're saying in your Word. Uh, it, it has to be the power of your Holy Spirit that reveals you to us. So, show us, Lord Jesus, how trustworthy you are um, in these scenarios. Where we're facing suffering or persecution, I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, Second Timothy, uh, that book in the Bible, that letter is Paul's last will and testament. It's the last letter that we have from Paul before he dies. Uh, Paul is now in Rome, in a dungeon, when he's writing this to Timothy. Uh, he had already been in a, uh, arrested, but he was only in house arrest, and so he was able to have visitors, and he's able to ask for people to bring him a tunic and, and so on. Um, but, but what has happened up until this point is, uh, is a tragic uh, event in the history of humanity. Uh, the Emperor Nero, in 64 AD, uh, burnt the city of Rome. He burnt it down. They say that it wasn't just like uh, stone buildings that were destroyed, like well-developed, established buildings that were st- destroyed by this fire. Uh, he also destroyed uh, the homes of, uh, of, like people whose homes were made out of wood, like, and people who were in poverty as well. So the whole city was, was destitute from this fire. Now Nero, being the smart guy that he is, uh, decided that, hey, I'm the emperor. Uh, I am God to each and every one of you. I will decide who you will persecute in this. And he, inst- instead of taking the blame himself, he blamed the fire on the Christians. So, can you imagine that? Like the government, uh, the government uh, decides that uh, we're going to blame you, you know, Christians, you know, this religion for uh, something that happened that wasn't really, it was totally falsified. You did not do it. And so he. he <laughs> So in doing that, they actually make a declaration that, that Christians should be rounded up and tortured and imprisoned. Seems pretty dark, right? And uh, for all the things that we're concerned about, about our own personal religious freedoms, right? Like right now at this point, for all the things we're concerned about, like we could dream up all kinds of dark ways that the things are gonna turn out badly for maybe the church in Canada or the church in the Western world or, or whatever. But nothing is as bad as what's already happened. Like the like the it's like the government just, you know, blamed COVID nineteen, um, September eleventh, uh, the the Cuban Missile Crisis, uh, the, the the Maple Leaf Stanley Cup drought. They they believe they they blamed it on Christians, and said they have to be rounded up for this. Can you imagine like, it's 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 the most dark scenario, but now. Paul has been put into a dungeon on behalf of this. And on top of it, here's Timothy. So Timothy is a pastor. He's been called a pastor, an apostle, and an evangelist. He has a calling from God to tell other people about Jesus, but now it only makes sense that Christians should go into hiding. So he's here trying to pastor this church in Ephesus and Paul from the dungeon is encouraging him, don't give up. Now you have to get in Paul's head here, right? Because, because he's labored so, so vigorously for the birth of the church right now in the Roman world. And you can imagine that they're in the darkest place that they possibly could be. And he's in a dungeon. Things are so dark for him, but then he's looking at what's happening to Timothy, and he's and all the hard work that he's done, he's like, oh man. So, like, this this might all go to ruin, so we can get the emotional uh, fervor that's behind this passage. Timothy, therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, a prisoner of the Lord, but instead share now in the sufferings for the gospel by the power of God. Man, it's so powerful. Like I used to hear this verse, right? The verse about how we have a spirit of power, not a spirit of spirit of love, power and self-control, and not a spirit of fear. And think, well, this was a passage about fear. No, this, this is like this is a or 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 I could say this is a passage about how timid, you know, Timothy is. Like he's a timid little pastor. You know, he's a little bit younger, and so the other the other people in the churches are getting down at him for that. But Timothy had to endure a lot because also at this point in time in Ephesus, he was getting resistance from within the church. So there were people within the church that were trying to convince him that they should go back to the law. They should go back to to being Jews again and, and, and follow the Ten Commandments and the ceremonial laws of the Jews. And then there were also people within the church who were actually taking the gospel and twisting it and trying to encourage people to have a license for sin rather than to to live uprightly according to to, to the new creation that has happened within them. So Timothy is up against it. He has resistance from, without, and from within the church. So who can blame him? This guy's pretty tough. I mean, he's also seen all of the all of the persecution that Paul had to endure because as we know from scripture, Timothy joined Paul on a whole bunch of travels. He was with him in Corinth and in Troas. Um, He saw how Paul was treated originally in Ephesus when the church was planted. He he knows what he's up against. So we can't blame him for maybe feeling a little wary of continuing to trust Jesus in this. But here we find out some really important things that I want us to, to look at really closely. So I want us to look at um, these, these verses right here, which are um, verses of five through to eight in this passage. So it says, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your mother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. This is Paul now talking to Timothy. He said, for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us, I love that he says, us, because he's talking to Timothy, but he's addressing the church because he knows this is going to go out to the church. He's addressing the church as well. He said, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but share in the suffering for the gospel by the power of God. And so this word, I want to focus on that word um, sincere, right? So that right there in verse 5, it says. it says, Paul is reminded of, of Timothy's sincere faith. And that word sincere is anopocritos, uh, which is where we get the word, uh, which is the word for which we get the word hypocrite. So, ano before it means like non-hypocritical is basically what it's saying. So, your non-hypocritical faith, your unfeigned, your irrevocable faith, I am reminded of what naturally is in you that has been hereditarily passed down to you, Timothy. This, This faith that is in you, I am appealing to it. This is very important because this could have been an opportunity for Paul to say, listen, Timothy, I'm a little bit aware of how fearful you've been and you need to buck it up, buddy. Suck it up. Listen, look at what I'm enduring, you can do it. Just try harder. Yeah, it's scary, put on your brave face, bud. Let's go. But Paul doesn't do that. I love it. Paul is appealing to his identity.
2: Look at what is in you, look at what I have seen. I am speaking truth, I'm affirming what is true about you, Timothy. God is doing that with us all the time, and through other people as well, affirming what is true about
1: you, even in the midst, in the face of persecution or suffering for who you are in Jesus. God is affirming who you are. And I love that. that's, That's naturally the person that Timothy is. But then he goes on to say, for this exact same reason, for this exact same reason that I know you have this faith, I am encouraging you and I'm affirming you and confirming that it was true that the gift of God that was laid on you by uh, that was that was placed in you by the laying on of my hands by my prayer. I'm confirming that I I prayed for this and I've seen it as well that you have a gift from God and you need to stir up that gift of God. Now that word right because okay, it says it says fan into flame uh, the gift of God. Uh, that word is the word anatzo and this word means. Stir up, as I've said. It could also mean rekindle. But it could also mean bring to new life. Bring to new life this gift that you've been given. A lot of commentators kind of argue about this. You know, um, This gift, actually, this kind of fits in with, with Ross's uh, you know, series a little bit. But this gift that we're talking about is also translated um, charismata. Uh, so as we've been learning about gifts, this is the gift that he has now inherited by his joining with God's Spirit. So he has this uh, gift that is initiated uh, naturally uh, through the Spirit in his life. But we don't really know which one it is. There's a lot of commentators who argue about it. You could argue that it is a gift of faith because we were talking about faith in the earlier passage. We're not entirely sure. But for whatever reason, whatever gift that he's been given, it's for leadership. Because he's leading the church in Ephesus. And maybe it is faith. Maybe he's appealing to the faith that he has so that he could lead the church now in Ephesus into their most darkest period
2: ever. Now the government wants to wrap up all the Christians and throw them in, in, in a dungeon for something that they didn't do. Maybe that's what it was. Maybe he
1: was he was appealing to him to stir up that faith and and now and get started. But maybe it was to, to, to stir up the faith of uh, sorry, stir up the gift of, of, of teaching and just, and, and just continue to boldly teach. Well, that makes sense because the rest of the passage you know, in Timothy is about him you know, preaching and, and not backing down from preaching. For what, but for whatever reason, we have to understand that he was sitting on his gift. We can only discern that that's probably what was happening and maybe he was afraid of standing up boldly for the things that he knew were true. And so Paul is calling out to him, Listen, don't back down, don't sit on your gift. I am affirming what's true about you. You have this sincere faith. You have this unfeigned, irrevocable faith. You have a gift from God, stir it up, don't back down. And then the reason why you shouldn't back down is because you haven't been given a spirit of fear, but you've been given a spirit of power. The word power is dunamis, from which we get the word dynamite. And then the love word that is being used there is the word agape, and you know what that is. It's un, um, unconditional love. And then the next word that's being used there is sophoremus, which means self-control. And so that is a spirit that you have. You don't have a spirit of timidity. You have been given a new spirit by uh, what happened on the cross. And so... It's important for us, as we're reading this, to not think, okay, well, this is just a Timothy. I mean, no, this is very much to us because all of these things have actually happened in our own journey. Yes, we have natural giftings that we were born with. Yes, we have giftings that are now birthed through the Spirit that the Spirit uses, but all this happened because we died with Christ, right? Galatians 2.20 says this. Uh, I, I die with Christ, it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me, That's what, that was the glory of what happened with the cross. Not only did I die with him, but I was also raised to new life with him. And so I've been given a new spirit, an accepted spirit, a righteous spirit, the, the essence of my existence beyond my body, beyond my mind and emotions. My natural essence of existence is that I'm a righteous you know, son of God, I have a, have a new spirit, And that spirit, and this is the best part, that spirit has now been joined with God's spirit. So we might be facing scenarios where we're looking forward and God is calling us forward into something. He wants us to say yes to something where we might face persecution and we might suffer. I don't know where we're at. I mean, that may not be all of us at this moment, but at some point in time, that may happen. It could be a situation where you know, you're you're with your neighbors and you're you're hanging out with them, you're talking with them, and they just kind of open up that door. You know what I'm talking about. They just kind of open up that door for you to talk about what Christ means to you. You know, saying, like, oh, you know, I saw that you, you know, you really suffered through, you know, the passing of that family member, but you guys have been really strong and 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 really courageous through it all and been really kind. And that that's really appeals to me. I think it's really great. And you know what that feels like where that opportunity happens and you're like, okay, maybe I want to talk about Jesus. But if I do, maybe they'll reject me or maybe they'll never talk to me again. And you kind of sit on it, but you know in your heart that you want to say yes to that moment.
2: Right? In those moments, it's, it's, it's,
1: it's important for us to remember the, who we have been made to be. This is maybe an opportunity that God has prepared us for. Um, maybe, maybe this is something that, uh, a situation that God has placed us in by which our gifts can be brought to new life. I mean, I just love even that term of being brought to new life because sometimes God designs a scenario, maybe God purpose a scenario where we have to step into the dark and maybe the way that we used to do things or the way we used to minister to people, or the way we used to respond you know, to it just doesn't work anymore. And so we actually have to fan into flame.
2: We have to bring to new life and use in a new way the giftings that God has given us. But I just love how yeah again First Corinthians
1: chapter six verse seventeen says this. Listen, this is you're not on your own in this. God's spirit has been joined with your spirit. Accept who you are, Timothy. Accept who you are, Greg. Accept who you are, Kat. This is who you are. You've been joined with the Spirit of God, a spirit of power, the spirit of love, self control. Because everyone who is in Christ will face persecution. It's a promise, right? And so it's hard for us to say yes to God and no to shame when we're facing persecution and suffering. But, I mean, if we accept who we are by faith, then we can do that.
2: Um, we can stand up tall in that situation. Now, the rest of that verse
1: is, is where we get the understanding this is a topic about persecution. and says this. Therefore, I'm reading I'm reading verse eight says, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. How does that happen? Right? Share in suffering, but by the power of God. Well, what does that even look like? Well, it's something that is activated by faith. I like to think of of you know activating our faith in a scenario like the like the clutch on a standard vehicle. You know, a standard vehicle is—you is, is, uh, would hope—is is fully ready to be on the road. It's got its tires. The tires have air. It has gas. It has engine oil. Um, it has Bluetooth speakers, uh, so you can roll the windows down and let the wind go through your hair or your scalp. And, and you know, and it's like it's just—it's just fully suited to be on the road. But nothing's going to happen, right? It has all the resources to do what it needs to do. But, but nothing's really gonna happen until you put that vehicle um, into its gears, put it in neutral and then into its gears using the clutch. Now, is there power in the clutch? Well, well, I mean, it depends on the vehicle, I suppose, but I mean, really, it's something that's activated by you. You have to activate the clutch so you can go from gear to gear. I'm learning to drive standards. I'm probably not expressing it properly. My, my wife, Deanne, actually uh, learned to drive driving a standard vehicle. Uh, We currently have a standard vehicle and I'm pretty good at uh, backing it up and then driving it back into the driveway I'm also pretty good at putting it into neutral and then rolling out into the into the road uh, To be hit by a car, but but the thing is is that My learning of how to use the clutch will determine How I use that vehicle? uh, Where I go? And so faith is sort of that. It's, it's, like, it's like my responsibility. My responsibility in this scenario is just to say, okay, yes, God, to, to this next gear. Yes, God, to this, to this next scenario. Yes, God, to, to, to backing out of the situation. Yes, God, to, to doing this. And, and that determines where that vehicle goes because the vehicle has everything it needs to get me where I need to go. But it depends on my yes. I mean, that's why shame is so powerful, right? I mean, that's why shame is so powerful. That's why this, this passage is not really about fear, because fear is a product of shame, right? It, it, it's, it's not usually, it's not always one and the same, but more often than not, if you're feeling fearful, it, it is possible it's because you're believing incorrectly about who you are. You're actually believing a lie, and shame is more of a belief than a feeling. It's You actually believe that you might deserve harm. You might deserve to... Um, for God to not rescue you or be there for you in a particular situation or do good to you, but if you accept who you who, who you are in Christ, you've been made righteous. You're loved by God. You're joined. His spirit is joined with your spirit. You know, th- then you can hit the clutch and say yes to the next gear, to where God wants to take you next. And I was talking to my man Norm this past Wednesday, you know, at uh, at our little men's get together there at Tim Hortons. And, um, and he was talking to me about, about how it's like seamless for him. He doesn't even think twice about, you know, changing the gears and stuff like that. It's like riding a bike to him now. And I thought, isn't that so much just kind of where we want to get to? Where there's not so much hesitation to say yes to God. Uh, we, we just learn the, the tricks and the lies of the flesh by trying to uh, shame us and make us believe something that's incorrect and we can just kind of push through it to the point that it just becomes seamless, and, and we just get to a new stage where we're able to um, navigate our faith and or maybe
2: even drive more effectively um, through our faith. You know, I, I, I would hope that, that that
1: doesn't oversimplify the situation. I hope it doesn't oversimplify it, but at the same time, at the same time, God honors our yes. He delights in our yes when we say yes to Him, and we say no to shame. We hit the gears and we change up. Um, we activate that clutch and we activate that clutch and we change gears and we go where He's calling us to do. He He, he honors that um, and He delights in in that. And in the end, it's an experience of us experiencing life, rather than just kind of being in neutral and sliding out into the middle of the road. But anyway, let's keep moving on. So. Let's look at the rest of this passage, I wanna read it to you. I wanna look at uh, verses nine through to 12. It says this. um, Now we're talking about uh, the power of God. This is who we're talking about now, we're talking about God. So he says, God who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of our own, because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until the day that day what has been entrusted to me. And, you see, again, I mean, all of us are gonna face persecution. It's a promise. So it's hard for us to say yes to God and no to shame in the face of that. However, like we've just been talking about, we accept who we are. We, we say no to shame, we accept who we are, we accept what the truth is, we accept that Jesus is, and then the second thing is that we want to accept that Jesus is the author and the finisher of our story. And I believe this is what Paul's trying to get across to Timothy right here. He's trying to get across to him, look, the same power. The same love and care that saved you from death to life is the exact same love and care and power that will preserve you, that will help you share in the suffering for the gospel. It's the exact same power. He goes through describing the gospel and everything that Jesus accomplished through the cross. And what I love about this too is that this was God's purpose and grace, you know, before the ages began. He had designed this scenario so that those like Timothy could shine in the dark. I love how it says that. Jesus, before the ages began, did this. And what, was this based on works? No. Was this based on how excellent Timothy is at saying yes to God and no to shame? How bold he is? Is it it, it dependent
2: on whether or not he feels fear? Well, not at all. This was dependent on God, God loved him
1: first. God loved Timothy first, God loved you first, God loved me first, and through that I am, because through the love that he demonstrated, I can now trust him enough to say yes to him in a particular scenario, which is beautiful. Because this passage is not about not feeling fear. I mean, all of us are gonna feel fear. All of us are gonna wanna go back to Egypt. When we're looking at the wilderness ahead of us, or when we're looking at the the giants now, uh, who the, the 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 descendants of the Nephilim who are who are in, in Palestine or in Philist- in the Philistine territory, we're looking at that. We're like, no, we want to go back to Egypt. That's scary. Some of us are, want to go back to the desert after we hit the Jordan River because we're afraid of the Canaanites who are on the other side of us. Some of us feel fear, like maybe not to the same extent, but Like Jesus, Jesus felt fear. He was in the garden of Gethsemane. He felt fear. He had the right to say no. He was God. He had a right to say no to the cross. But for the joy of what lay ahead, he said yes. And on whose behalf? Your behalf. My behalf. What a glorious example. It's not about us not feeling fear. It's not about our works. But we have been saved by the power of God because he delighted in us. He called out to us, and we said yes, and so he's, by his power that saved us, it's that exact same power that's going to preserve us, it's going to help us to share in the suffering of the gospel. You know, you might want to ask yourself, like, why why, why do we suffer for the gospel at all? And I think it's, I, I just, you know, I asked myself that question, you know, even yesterday kind of, you know, when I was doing some house cleaning, like, why, why do we even do that? And, and it came to me right away because I understood it, uh, because I've read it before, but Jesus says this in, um, in, the, in, in John, in the Gospel of John. He says this, he says, the world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it and that its works are evil. John chapter 7 verse 7, uh, seven says that, and then John chapter 15 verse 8 says this, if the world
2: hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. That's comforting. It's like we have actually aligned ourselves. We have have died to
1: ourselves. We are now alive with Christ. We are now aligned with the most hated person in the universe. The most hated person in the world. You know, when when you think about it that way, you, you realize maybe I should be a little more compassionate to people that I don't always, you know, get along with or maybe rub me the wrong way. Because actually I'm aligned with the person that the world is against—what an interesting picture
2: for us. I mean, that's why we suffer for the gospel. It's because the world is against Jesus.
1: Uh, the the world the I mean those who are outside of Christ, those who are outside of who who Jesus is. They 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 may lack the
2: power. They they may lack the power to. Uh, to say yes to him because of the power of
1: sin but we are no longer under the power of sin we have been freed from that um i love how, how, how the i love the passage that says that that the power of sin has been crucified it's become made powerless over us and so sometimes maybe we shouldn't be too upset <laughs> maybe, you know that the world just doesn't get it i mean they can't but what's been revealed to us and we've said yes so the power of sin has been removed from our, from our experience. And we're aligned with the person, the most hated person in the world. So maybe in some ways we shouldn't be too surprised that that happens, uh, that we do face this, right? But it's beyond that. It's even bigger than that. Because, because God, and even in the midst of that, God called us, so he now empowers us, he empowers you, he works through you, he now equips you with gifts, with the exact same power that he saved you with, and he is the beginning and the end of your story, he takes full responsibility for you. You know what, what I want to do is I don't even want to contrast that verse about, you know, the world hating us because we were. we're, You know, because we're united with Jesus, because they hated him first, uh, with the verse that says, well, I'm
2: paraphrasing now, but we love him because he loved us first. It's totally full circle. It all all connects. It
1: begins and it ends with him. Yes, we face persecution because we're united with him, but we can love him because he's loved us us first. So he's taking full responsibility for our journey. We just need to look to him to empower us. We need to say yes by faith. We need to accept the truth of what he has done in us and stand up boldly in the face of persecution and suffering, not because we're bold, not because we don't feel fear, because only because we were made for this moment the power of God. It's awesome. The hard thing, too, for us to understand as well is that, you know what? Sometimes the gospel isn't glamorous. I want to share a story with you. I want to share a story with you that's um, uh, its a little bit crass. Uh, there's some crass things in the story. Some, uh, and so if you have kids with you, maybe you want to you know, cover their ears, but I, I just really want to, to share something with you that, that really blessed me this week. And it's just an example of the power of the gospel. And as an example of light in a dark place. So I was t- so through work, I was talking with um, Preston Gillum. Some of you might know him uh, as, a, as an author. He wrote the book, No Mercy. And um, I was chatting with him, and he was sharing, me, sharing with me a story about his ministry, Lifetime Guarantee. And he was sharing a story about like, how uh, they had a telephone ministry, and they had a 1-800 number by which people could call in and they could be you know, counseled or, or uh, they can have an opportunity to learn about the exchange life. And so you know how some of these numbers they have, uh, they can spell out something at the end. So it was like 1-800-something-something, get life. Uh, but unfortunately, somebody in a, in, a, in a truck stop somewhere decided to make a crass, uh, example of a phone number and the the words the words that they use actually spelt out get life uh, but um, not didn't necessarily spell out get life but it, it could it could spell out it could it could basically when they punch in those numbers are basically calling a lifetime ministries and uh, and the term that was used and so I have to I have to use it so this may maybe you want to cover your ears but the term that was used was 1-800 something something eat Mona which is a little bit crass. Uh, But what was happening was that guys at these truck stops were were calling this number hoping to talk to a lady friend um, who could talk to them in a a sexual or derogatory way. And so these guys were calling the ministry. And so they had an administrator who was working at Lifetime Ministries and her name was Mira. So you can kind of get the resemblance a little bit and she was receiving these calls from these men who were expecting something different and uh it was a little bit disturbing for her obviously and so as a as a business as a ministry, they decided together to're like you know what uh this is really something maybe we should protect Mira from maybe we should we should take her out of the situation it's kind of dark It's just kind of getting the you know, kind of facing suffering and persecution for the gospel. Let, let's take her out of the situation. But then they started to pray about it and think about it more, and they decided, well, maybe,
2: maybe God designed this particular scenario to reach these men. So they talked to Mira
1: about it, and she, with her consent, they actually, you know, taught her to kind of, how to, you know, handle those calls and, and what to say and, um, and, and, and actually lead, actually give her the words, to actually create, create a conversation to lead these men to Christ. Uh, what press told me was that many truck drivers, many truck drivers came to Christ uh, because they, they called a number expecting they would get something else, but instead they, they, were, they were looking for death and instead they got more life. And I don't know... If that impacts you or not, but man, it just, for whatever reason, it just rocked me because I realized something, that the power of the gospel isn't necessarily glamorous. I mean, to those who know its power, you could see it and you could see see a light in a dark place and be moved by it. And these men, they could have said, okay, Mira, get out of the situation. And she could have said, no, I don't want to have any part of this. And they could have removed her from it. They could have run away from something that God had actually designed from the beginning of the ages uh, for them to reach these men. But instead they decided, we're gonna be a light in a very, very dark place. See, the gospel's not always glamorous. It's not glamorous all the time. And sometimes the things that we face are not glamorous. We get into situations with family members who, who despise our faith. They despise the choices we make. They despise that we wanted. We want to watch church on a Sunday morning with our, with our church family rather than be with them. Or, or we're facing situations where we're in school and our friends, even our Christian friends, are asking us to do things that don't align with who we are in Christ Jesus and what Jesus died for. Sometimes we have to say yes to God and no to shame in the face of persecution and suffering. And we have to accept who we are. We have to accept that we were bought with a price. And what was that price? That price was the person of Jesus Christ. It was God's own son, who in the face of fear decided on our behalf that it was greater joy for him to die than for us to be separated from him forever.
2: And the gospel's not always glamorous. But the end result is, is joy abundant for us. It's abundant life. It's being re- reunited with the lover of our soul. It's
1: not about works. He's delighted in who we are and loves us. And so in this truth, we can release the right to retreat—that's exactly what they did. Lifetime Ministries—they—they re- they, they released the right to retreat, to run away from a dark situation—and said yes to God and no to shame. Man, I, I am so, still, so moved and touched to know that. And it's a great example to us, and hopefully it's impactful for you as well, as you face situations. Um, of persecution and suffering. And just our last part, because I feel like I know we're going a little bit long here, but just for our last part here, verses 13 to 14. Paul says this. He says, "Um, Timothy, follow the pattern of the sound words that you've heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit trusted in you. And, and so this kind of harkens back to, you know, you know, that verse 8 where he says, don't be ashamed of Jesus, but don't be ashamed of me either. Like, like Paul has every opportunity right now. He's sort of in that situation where, you know, if, you know if, if all this stuff about Jesus and the resurrection was fake, you know, maybe by his last letter he would just give up and say, okay, Timothy, it's fake. Don't worry about it. Don't, don't get into the situation that I'm in. Stay out. You know, deny Jesus. He doesn't do that. He says, listen, follow the pattern of sound words that you've heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Follow my example, my my strong resolve. You know, there's there's a cry, there's a cry out for the heart of the church more so in this letter than there's a cry from Paul to say, save me from this darkness. He has a strong resolve that comes from the spirit of God and he's demonstrating that to Timothy. Stay with it, bud. Accept who you are in Christ. Accept that Jesus is the author and the finisher of your faith. And the last thing is this. Accept that you are not alone. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Now, he's not saying guard it on your own ability. He's saying, no, by the Holy Spirit. Guard the good deposit entrusted to you. What is this good deposit? Well, this speaks right back to his giftings. To who God called him to be who God has made him to be, whether the gifting is faith, whether the gifting is preaching and teaching, you know, whichever gifting it is. So by the power of the Holy Spirit, don't lean on your own ability. Don't do it yourself. The Holy Spirit will empower you to make it through this season, to rekindle your gift, to do all of these action steps that I've told you. The Holy Spirit will empower you to do them. Trust him to do it. Uh, rest in, 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 the, in the finished work of Christ. Accept who you are, accept that Jesus is the author and the finisher of your
2: story, and accept that you are not alone. So in finishing this up, you could say, well, what's in it for me, really, if I say yes?
1: <clears throat> um, I, I was thinking about that too. And I, I think about many scenarios in my life where I've had to say yes to God and, and no to shame and, and, and go in the direction of you know, persecution and suffering. And the end result really uh, sometimes isn't pleasant. Obviously, many of you have probably faced those situations where you had to stand up for your faith and you suffered on account of it. And you have the stories to tell. But the wonder that I notice in this is that I get to see the beauty and the power of God at work. And, and that's, for me personally, subjectively, it's wonderful. It's amazing, it's glorious to know that I'm on the other end of something amazing that God is doing in the world to save the world. And not only that, but that he's doing it through me. That's a wonderful thing. The other part is that I know that what I have in him, the gospel is, no matter even how I feel, even if I, even if I feel fear, because I do feel fear, you know, in the face of suffering and persecution or maybe being ridiculed for my faith or speaking up, you know, with a neighbor, you know, about my faith. You know, it's like, I do feel the fear, but I know that 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 I, know that I, know that I have found peace, love, joy, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Maybe I missed one. I know I have found life in Jesus. And for me to pretend and go back to Egypt, to run away from the Jordan River and go back to the desert, to stay in the garden, for me to run away from this would be a denial of the life that I have received and the love and the joy that I have received on account of being united with Christ. And... Maybe that's just an oversimplified way of looking at it. Maybe we can all share stories too, you know, know, either now or or later, you know, with each other about how God has done that. How you had to face a, a, you know, for suffering or persecution, but it was actually for an end goal that was purposeful, that that God did something grand and beautiful in that. You have it in your own story, the story that Christ has written in and through you. Um, But I know I can say confidently right now, that's the truth for me that if I was going to die for anything. Uh-oh, kind of scary for me to say that, right? But if I would die for anything, I'm, this is it. This is it. Um, thank you so much for listening. Uh, we covered a lot of ground this morning. If um, you stayed along with us, so just thank you for that. Uh, but I would encourage you today to continue that conversation. Maybe you wanna share it. Maybe you wanna talk about a story where you had to say yes to God and, and the end result was, Um, the end result was something painful, but God actually brought something really good out of it or did something really cool in you. Maybe you want to share that with your kids as a parent. Maybe you want to share it with people that you have a watch party with. uh, It doesn't have to be together, but it could be a part or virtually or remotely. Uh, We we can encourage each other, just like Paul did for Timothy. We can encourage each other to know uh, that God is with us and for us. And uh, that we're not alone in this at all. Thanks so much for your time.
0: You've been listening to the New Life Fellowship podcast. Thanks for joining us. For more great content, please be sure to check out our website newlifekw.ca and sign up for our mailing list. Subscribers will receive our "The Life in the Apartment" ebook, that is sure to encourage and bless. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and subscribe to our YouTube channel to watch the latest services and additional video content. New Life Fellowship is a registered charity that is supported by the giving of partners and friends. All donations will be received. If you would like to donate, donate at newlifekw.ca. Your giving is highly valued and appreciated. You are loved. Take care.